It's 2021, and it's time for the first mental game episode of the new year. Happy and a healthy new year to all of you. I'm Sam Brief here in Chicago. Feels good to say 2021, doesn't it? I mean, 2020, you know, it was fun at the beginning. It had a nice ring to it in January and February. Hey, 2020 vision. It just rolls off the tongue. 2020. But then by March, April, May, certainly into the dog days of the summer, it turned from 2020 into 2020. And now it's 2021. So let's hope it doesn't turn into 2021. Anyway, I'm really excited for the first mental game of 2021. Hopping aboard today is Ray Ray McElrath Bay, who is portrayed in a Disney movie. It came out in December. It's called Safety, and you can check it out right now on Disney+. Plus. Now, Ray Ray's going to tell you the story on the podcast better than I can, but I'll just tease that it's a remarkable story of mental perseverance, of parenting, of dealing with a lot at the same time, and coming out even better and more mature on the other side. Now, before I hand it off to Ray Ray, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. You're an 18-year-old freshman football player at Mighty Clemson. You had a tough childhood. Your parents battled addiction. You were in and out of foster care. And now your younger brother needs you. He might have to head for foster care, and he really doesn't want to. You have a decision to make. Do you let him go to foster care? Or do you take him in as your son? Ray Ray McElrath Bay chose the second decisively, and that's the subject of the incredible Disney film Safety. And we dive into that, into how he dealt with that mentally, and how he came out on the other side and some of the wonderful work that he's doing right now. So here is Ray Ray McElrath Bay with the first Mental Game episode of 2021. Enjoy. For people who haven't seen the movie or haven't ever heard of your story or heard of you, what would you like them to know about this story? Well, back in uh, 2006, my younger brother um, came to campus on Clemson University's campus. I was a student athlete at Clemson. Uh, I was in my freshman year coming off of the fall semester. Um, My brother wanted to come visit. He had been calling me over and over again about visiting Clemson. And I had the opportunity to get him there, bought him a plane ticket. And he was supposed to stay for two weeks. And two weeks turned into a lifetime. Uh, How that all transpired, my mom, unfortunately, uh, was addicted to crack cocaine. And my dad was, you know, having his issues with my mother in that situation. So my brother's home life wasn't ideal. And while he was at Clemson, he got a new experience and felt like, he didn't want to go back to what he was where he was before. And so he asked me, could he stay? And I was like, you know, I'm a student athlete, 18 years old. I'm like, no, are you crazy? Um, if, uh, he was like, but I'm not going back. I'm like, what you mean you're not going back? He's like, I'd rather go to foster care because I, I gave him the option. I was like, so you either go back or go to foster care. <clears throat> and he said, well, I'd rather go to foster care. And that kind of, you know, turned on my radars. And I was like, uh, you know, uh, it made me think about it. And during the time I spent with my parents, I wasn't so um, adamant about leaving. I didn't like the situation, but I didn't want to go to foster care. That was the last place I was trying to go. 
but he was willing. And that made me kind of consider, you know, what he was going through. And so since he said he wasn't going back, uh, I spoke with two of my mentors and they decided, not they decided, but I decided that I was going to go ahead and keep my brother on campus with me to let him stay with me. I got cussed out by my mentors uh, because one of them was paying my cell phone bill at the time he understood that I was in no position to take care of a kid. But yet, you know, here I was um, thinking about it. And then I didn't even tell him when I actually did it. Uh, he found out through the news of the day at the time. Um, but my brother decided, well, I decided to keep my brother. My brother stayed. And I mean, I guess the rest is history. Um, one of the reasons my story became a national story was one, because um, not only my mom was did the crack cocaine, but I was raised by the coaches that I played with coming up. And I didn't come from an ideal background myself. Um, and so just to get to the point where I was, was a, you know, a feat. But um, deciding to keep my brother was probably one of the better things I ever did with my life. Made me grow up relatively fast, but it was it was worth it. And so um, the NCAA suspended me back then for extra benefits because anything that an NCAA player receives, um, it has to be offered to any student on campus. And being that I was an athlete, I can't receive anything because of my likeness, which based on NCAA rules. And so I was suspended by the NCAA for... Um, for for a little bit of time and then you know the media went crazy and that made my story a national story but the NCAA came back and you know understood my situation I was just trying to raise my brother and they um set a president where they changed the rules and allowed me to keep him and I guess the rest is history and you became Famar's legal guardian now how old were you when you first took him in, and how old was he? Uh, 18, and he was 9. I was 18 when I first took um, Faye Moore in, and he was 9 years old. And um, just went from there. The timeline from when the idea to take him in first crossed your mind, and you made the decision and took action on it, how much time was there between that? Did you hesitate, or was it instant? It was probably three days because I wouldn't talk to my mentors because um, it wasn't anything that I had done before. And I knew, well, I didn't know how I was going to do it. That's the thing. Um, it didn't quite make sense. The, the things that I did think about were that I was on meal plan one and um, I stayed on campus. So being that I was on meal plan and I stayed on campus, the, the, the basic needs were met. There was housing, there was food. And then everything else I figured I could figure out along the way, because I've always considered myself a, um, a hustler in the sense that I'll go out and find work if there's work to be found. Everyone in our lives, we fit into the schema of who they are, right? Someone's my friend, someone's my parent. In this case, Famar, for the first nine years of his life, or eight years of his life, was your little brother. And then overnight, he becomes your son. Mentally, how difficult was that adjustment for you? Um, it took some time. 
Uh, it didn't just happen because I wasn't prepared. I, I had no idea about what it took to be a parent. So I couldn't even make the adjustment because I didn't know what the adjustment <laughs> that needed to be made. I knew um, just as a responsible young man at the time that education was important. I, I had made it to college, so uh, that was one of the things that I always pushed, you know, uh, education. But as far as the things, I, I didn't know, I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough to know what I didn't know. So um, what, what eventually changed is that um, I had to not be as selfish. And selfish for me was, um, there was a quote that Kanye, out of all the ironic people in the world to speak about, had in one of his songs, I use my arrogance as my steam to power my dream. I use it as my gas, so they say that I'm gassed. But so it was the arrogance in me um, to, to think that I could do anything that made me, you know, go ahead and just like, all right, you, you can figure it out. And that was um, how I moved in life and how I can kind of continue to move. Um, you know, just keep God first and understand that I'm on my journey. It might be some ups and downs, but I'm going to keep it moving. How did you change as a person? by becoming a parent? Uh, I had to get responsible real fast. Uh, I had a bunch of leadership qualities coming up simply because I played quarterback since I was, you know, a young man, uh, eight and under. And so um, my coaches and my other family members, they I move with a quarterback's mentality. Like, cause I kind of want to know what everybody else is doing in order for me to see where I fit in and see how I can contribute. And um, that's one of the ways that I changed drastically. I became, became uh, I had to get more responsible real fast. But in my life, I realized that that downtime, idle, idle moments are the times where I'm the least productive. It's me needing to do something, me needing to have something to do that always keeps me um, above ground, as I would say. Just keep my head above water, make sure I'm you know, standing afloat and doing good things. And staying busy and so as a as what changed for me is my schedule um i had to care less about what i had to do and more about what he had to do and um if i always kept him first then i, I was okay for the most part what was the day in the life when he was living with you in your dorm room just take me through say a typical tuesday i mean we'll wake up um when he when he first got there, it was summertime, so school wasn't in yet. But I did I took summer classes every summer, um, so I had class more than likely. I wake up, um, I go to class, I leave him in the room with my roommate, or you know tell someone that he's at the house and make sure you know they look over at him if anything. But I'll leave; he'll still be asleep in the summertime. I have a morning class. Um, go to two classes, come back to the house, we'll eat, um, then head over towards the practice facilities to work out. And he'll accompany me to the practice facilities, we'll work out, then we'll go to the field, do some more work, he'll be out there with me, and then we'll head home. And that was the, the way of the things, way things were, because when he first got there, my coaches and everybody were, you know, not alarmed because they were, I told him he was just visiting for two weeks. It's incredible to think about working a kid into your schedule because 
I know, I mean, the life of a student athlete is packed between academics, which I know you took really seriously, the actual football, social life. I mean, everything just for a normal student is a lot. And then suddenly you've got this kid living with you who now is your kid. What was the hardest <coughs> part of all that? Well, I grew up, I have seven siblings, which the, the movie fails to uh, acknowledge because it just, like, I hung up one picture of one brother. But I, either way, um, I have seven siblings. So Faymar is not even my youngest sibling. Uh, I have two siblings that are younger than Faymar. And the, I, I ended up getting custody of three of my siblings, you know, after Clemson. And I had always been that person in my family. Um, one of the people that, you know, looked to take care of everybody else. And it wasn't that much of an adjustment other than the fact that now he's with me. And so now I got eyes on him and I'm contributing. Because otherwise I'll be contributing and he's just in some other place. You know, I'll help buy food where they lived in. My, my parents at the time lived in Las Vegas. And so, you know, they stayed in a weekly motel. So they was you know, paycheck to paycheck trying to make bills work. Um, and I used to always contribute that way. So me helping out wasn't, I, uh, wasn't, uh, I guess outside the norm for me to the extent that I decided to help out when I, when I got custody of Faymar, that was the new normal. Um, but we adjusted and it went well. For those of us who aren't parents and never have been, What's the biggest difference between taking care of someone as a big brother in that mentoring, helping out here in their role, and being responsible for them as a legal guardian? Um, as a brother, it's not your responsibility. You can take on the responsibility as a brother, but it's not your responsibility. Um, as a parent, though, no matter what situation is, you you. You are the responsible one. You're the adult. And then if you're the brother, you could still be the adult in the room, but it's not. Um, the responsibility is different. Whereas as a brother, I can encourage him to do well in school. As a parent, I need to make sure he does well in school. Um, and then there's, um, there was an interview I did back on ESPN, and I, I think I, I said something along the lines of, you know, the brother questions would be like, you know, how, how was your day? You know, how you doing today or whatever. But then the, the parent question I would say was, you know, how you feel about living here? And are you comfortable living here? Um, or do you feel like all your needs are met? And it's, it's more of a in-depth question as opposed to a superficial surface, you know, how's the weather question. <laughs> We're focusing a lot on the schedule, and I've asked you about the stress of taking on this added responsibility. But Faymar is someone you love, and you know he turned from a brother into your son. What was the best part about the experience while you were still on campus? Oh, well, the best part of the experience. Um, the experience itself. I mean, a lot of the times I look back on a lot of things that happened in my life that might seem somewhat tragic or not the best situations, but they turn out to be some of the better things that ever happened to me. And so, and with Faymar's situation, just the, the, everything in general, just him getting on campus, because when he got there, I was a freshman, I was young, I wasn't as responsible. 
Um, but him getting there, uh, I had to grow up. I had to uh, become a man in a sense. Um, so it's, 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 it, was a, it was that process. Um, just having my brother on campus <laughs> um, was, you know, a wonderful thing. I got the opportunity to show him things that he'd never seen before. Um, and for me, that was a lot of things. That's one of the things that encouraged me to change my situation was getting out of it and seeing that there's things outside of my situation that I can strive for. And so um, just that, and then I would say even now, you know, one of the more important things for me with taking care of Faymore is the opportunity that I got to do it. Because you don't typically get a chance to practice parenting. There's not like a, a class you can take or, well, I mean, there are classes, but nothing in the, that give you, you know, real world, you're right there in it. And I did that with no to, to, to succeed. And, but most parents don't get that opportunity. You know, their first time is their first time. And, then, and you, 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 you can't fail because you failing at that particular time um, is, is detrimental to not just you, it's detrimental to a whole other human. And it could have been the same thing with Faymar, but I was lucky enough to have a village of people. And um, I give my credit, I give myself credit for being humble enough to ask someone for help. And um, that that made things a lot easier. And it, it was able, it, things were able to work out because, you know, I consulted others who had done it before. And, and that was, I guess, one of the better things that, that I can speak about from that situation that came out of that situation, the experience alone, as well as the opportunity to get to be there for my brother and be there for my family. And um, I'm reaping the benefits of that now. So uh, I look back and still think it's a great decision. It's fascinating, the parenting angle, Ray Ray, because usually a parent has at least nine months to prepare for being a parent to mentally get in that mindset, to read up on it, and then the baby comes out, and here you go, you're a parent. And, you know, you've got at least some sort of preparation. But you told me you went about three days between considering the idea to becoming his parent. It was a crash course. You had to learn on the fly. So uh, for me, that's fascinating how you were able to do that. Did you ever need to... to you know, seek advice? I know you took a lot of help, but um, did you ever have to corner someone and say, hey, I, I need you to help me out like with how to manage this situation? Well, uh, I had a mentor at Clemson, a gentleman named Jeff Davis. He has seven kids. And uh, one of the stories I tell people about, Faymo um, was doing school when I first got him. He was having issues. Uh, and I lost it. I was upset. I was and I went to talk to Jeff, you know, because here, here I am going to the house. Possibly help me out before I, my mind, I just want to beat him. Uh, <laughs> you know, just a whooping and be done with it. And, um, but Jeff, you know, sat me down and he asked Ray, he said, uh, have you, have you been to any parent-teacher conferences? I was like, uh, no. He said, have you got him a tutor? Uh, he said, uh, you help him with his homework every day? No. Well, sounds like you haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. So until you do what you're supposed to do, you shouldn't talk to him. 
is he's taking his view. So if you do everything that you're supposed to do and he fails, that's when you go at him. But until you do everything that you're supposed to do, don't, don't look outside yourself for, you know, the world to fix your problems. You just, you need to you know, handle the things that you can take care of. And then once you do that, you can then look outside yourself. And so that was a life lesson that I learned um, early on. And I kept that mindset throughout this, you know, let me start with myself. Okay, what can I fix me at? What can I solve a problem starting with me? Because that's the one thing I know I can control. And so um, that was, you know, one of the better things that I, I figured out very early on. And that gave me, um, I guess, the knowledge to, to continue on because I always started with myself. How did you feel your mental health was during this time? I went. I had my ups and downs. Uh, looking back at it, um, I have moments of depression, um, and I go throughout life. I, I have moments of depression, and I call them, you know, my coming to God moments. There's times in my life I can think back where I find myself, you know, sitting in the dark in the bathroom just crying, because um, um, I needed that emotional release. Uh, I had things on my chest and things that I was working through that I typically don't talk to people about. So I had a, a, I've had a, a bunch of those moments in my life that I'm thinking back where, you know, I just had a coming to God moment where I just sat there and I cried and I prayed about it. Um, that's, that was, that was um, as far as my mental health. I mean, but most days I was, I was great. But there were other days where I felt things like guilt, uh, inadequacies because I wasn't able to do the things that I wanted for my brother. Um, so in my mind, I would say that's when, as far as my mental health is concerned, that's when I got some sympathy and some empathy, well, more empathy for the things that my dad went through. Because up until that point, I had resented him, not looking at his perspective. And, um, Becoming him, becoming the, the you know a parent in, in his role for my brother, I, I realized the stress that it can cause, and made me a lot more empathetic to his perspective, to his to his plight, and um, it's one of my greatest regrets in life the way I treated him during those times because I was I was ignorant, um, but I guess. As far as my mental health was concerned, for a 19-year-old kid, I was probably a little bit all over the place, um, just based on everything that I had going on. And even now, um, I can speak with some levity, some type of uh, consistency, because I, I still have my moments where I'm, I'm good and I'm bad some days. I use emotional roller coasters, but I'm working through it. How did it bleed into other aspects of your life, like football and academics? There's a scene in the movie where you're late for a psychology exam and the professor doesn't let you take it. I don't know how if that scene actually happened, um, but how did it affect those other aspects? Well, um, it, it sometimes it reared its head in the, not the necessarily the most positive light. Early on in school, I wasn't taking as many credit hours. I wasn't as busy. 
So it made me comfortable. I got complacent very quickly. Because for me, school wasn't necessarily hard um, if I applied myself. So what would end up happening because I, I would procrastinate a lot of times because I was used to crisis. So I would create one in order for me to function in my normal space and so I can feel comfortable functioning. So, um, which is terrible. Um, but I, I do things like um, study hall. I wouldn't go to study hall. Like it, uh, I felt like it, it was unnecessary. Uh, the time spent wasn't worth it because I had other things that I needed to do. That wasn't as important, but that's what I felt at the time. And so um, time management became an issue along those lines of my studies because I didn't take it as seriously because I was used to working under crisis mode. So I had to make a crisis in my studies in order for me to flourish. And then it wasn't until I realized that I just need to take more credit hours. I started taking you know, 18 credit hours, 21 credit hours a semester, just to kind of, and then that's when my grades did the best. That's when I made the honor roll and all those other things. I graduated at Clemson in three years. So it was, it was when I became extra, extra busy that that worked out for me. Um, but, uh, sorry, I forgot the question a little bit. I went on a tangent. You answered it. <laughs> uh, Ray Ray, when and where were you when you first watched the Disney movie? Uh, I was at home. Uh, I got the director's cut. So, like, I, I saw the movie when it was, you know, three and a half hours long as opposed to two. Um, so I've seen various scenes and different versions of the movie, and then I was on set pretty much every day. So I, I saw it as it was being filmed. And it was uh, interesting to see how it came out after the edit. Jay Reeves plays you in the film. How, how do you think he did as being you? He did a wonderful job. Um, ironic story, uh, Jay, when Jay received the part, me and Jay lived less than two miles away from each other in Los Angeles. We went to the same gym, but never really hung out until he got the part. And um, once he got the part, we, we spent, you know, bunch of days together i trained the cast um for the movie so we spent a lot of time that way and then we lived you know not too far from each other in los angeles so we hung out we ate food together so uh we spent a lot of time and then we hung out during the shooting as well um during the uh filming of the movie so uh that was well and he did a wonderful job he's a wonderful young man um i couldn't ask for anybody else Although I know I did see some other audition tapes that were pretty well. And other people had reached out to me back during those times when they were auditioning, you know, just trying to get more of a feel for who I was. But it was a great experience with Jay playing me. Uh, he picked up on a lot of my mannerisms, and I think he did a great job, and others feel the way, that way as well. Well, I've only been talking to you for about 20, 25 minutes now. I watched the two-hour movie. But from that short sample size, I think he nailed it. It's great. I mean, because uh, hopefully we can go on and do a sequel. <laughs> what What would the sequel be about? 
<clears throat> well, you know, the movie wasn't about, but maybe if at all, it covered a year of my life. I'm 34. It was, you know, 33 more years in my life where things were happening. And uh, this probably won't even the most significant thing in my life. So as far as I'm concerned, so if people want to hear my story and about coming through, about persevering, it, it wasn't that Clemson that I had to do it the most. Because at Clemson, I had some basic needs I already taken care of. Food and housing being one. And a lot of times in my life, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so if you can, you can find inspiration from coming through, you know, being a student athlete and getting through school, I think you can find inspiration. Being a poor kid, uh, coming up in, um, in one of the hoods in Atlanta and Chicago and just dealing with that parent that was an, um, was an addict. And I think there's a lot of things within that. That's a whole, that's a, that's a movie in itself. Um, and moving past, you know, my parents being, uh, well, my mom being an addict and my dad being absent, um, it, that's a movie in itself as well. Um, and then since I think you would speak more to this and know more about this as well, the, the problem, the, 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 the things that happen to an athlete once you're no longer part of a team, like right after you're done. And so we spend most of our lives training to be an athlete. And then, you know, turns out 20 years old, everything you've been training most of your life for, you can no longer do. Um, it's not the career that you'll, it's not the path that you will go down. So it's even worse than, because some people would think I always kind of bring up this to, in comparison. A lot of people go to college and get a degree in what they think they want to be in life. And that's a lot of times what they think they want to be. And a lot of us get out of school and don't even work in that field. And we spent a lot of money to get that degree. Well, think about an athlete. We spend more than 12 years for most of us trying to be something. So we get a degree in athletics but we spent 15 years doing it as opposed to you spending four years in college. We spent 15 years and we've already decided this is what we want to do. It's only if, if, it's, if it's taken away from us that we can't do it. It's, it's what we want to do. So if someone will let us do it and we can live off of it, we will continue to do it. But um, that's not the case. And so we, a lot of us come to a point of our lives at 20 years old where we really have to figure out what we're going to do with our lives. And not saying that other 20 years are going to make that decision, but you got to understand for the first 15 years of our life, we had already made the decision. We had, we had our minds made up. And then to go from being in a team to being with the group to not being alone at no time for the most part, to then, you know, you're by yourself. You might have some relationships with some old teammates, but it's not, it's never the same because typically you move into different directions. And so you go from being a part of a team for your whole life to now you're alone. And then you're not, then you got to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. And then let's say you actually get a chance to play in the NFL. Chances are you're done by 30. So you still got more than half your life to try to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And the, the thought process and the, the, the mental exercises that you have to go through for that, I think, are even more, you know what I mean, something that people need to understand, people need to cover, because there are millions and millions of athletes out there who go through this all the time. And uh, 
I, I feel like there's a bunch of them that are depressed and going through stuff just because, because I know the transition that I had to make and I, I joined other teams to try to fill that void. And then um, for younger kids in bad neighborhoods, they call those teams gangs. <laughs> um, and that's prevalent now because of the same reasons, because people are looking for inclusion. On the note of the rest of your life, what are you up to right now, and where's Famar? Famar still lives in Clemson, ironically. Uh, <laughs> Famar is one of the young men I, I speak of when I'm, 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 they're trying to find their way. Um, it wasn't until this year, I'm 34, that I figured it out, that something I want to do that I feel just as passionate about as football. Um, so not that uh, Famar is in you know, a terrible position. He's just, you know, at the point of his life where he's trying to figure things out. So he's doing well, uh, considering that. Uh, me, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, I started a trucking company, called it Safety Freight. I'm just considering, you know, to protect it, the freight. Got to keep it safe. Yeah, and as well as uh, Ray Ray Safety Net Foundation. Um, and it's basically a foundation that I'm, I'm putting together. I started it. I'm looking for more ideas because I'm finding the more and more I, I, I want to do is start with what, what I think is just a concept of helping someone like myself who's been through similar things. And then I realized there are so many other problems while even just trying to deal with someone like myself. There are people who had it worse than I did. And so there are people out there too, and these are families. And do I do I want to deal with families, or do I want to deal with just singular people? Just do I just want to work with the kids? And then if I'm just working with the kids, then what happens when the parents not on the same, you know, wavelength that I'm on? It's not going to work out because you know. So I'm, I'm thinking more of a family. But anyway, that's you know, my thought process and about what I'm going through as far as my foundation is concerned. And I'm doing that. Um, a book. I'm currently writing a book and hopefully that'll be out come June, July. Now, is the book going to focus more on the small sliver of your life that the movie focuses on or does it zoom out to the other 33 years? Uh, it zooms out. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking to make it zoom out, and then actually they're talking about doing uh, a book, a series of books, because as I talk about more and more different things, they like the whole athlete and the separation from, you know, being an athlete holy life to being a regular citizen. I think that's a book in itself. Like I can go on and on about all the things that you miss out on once you off of the team in the psychology that goes into it. And a lot of uh, the things that I've always wanted to talk about is, like you, is the psychology behind everything that we have going on. Because there are reasons we do a lot of things that we do. Um, it's learned behavior, and so figure out what, figure out where we, where our thought processes start to get a little convoluted. And, and working from there, and I say that because uh, one of the things I wanted to focus on is uh, ACE scores, which is advanced, I mean not advanced, but adverse childhood experience. So just childhood trauma 
and a lot of us have been through so much childhood trauma that we never typically work out through our life so we continue to live with these issues. So, but that's just me rambling at the same time. That's kind of my mindset where I'm at now. You you bring up an excellent point with the former athletes. I, I can't speak from experience because I'm not an athlete myself, but talking to people like you, other former athletes, I mean, it's such a stark transition because your body changes, right? You end up at a point where you just can't compete at that level. Such a small sliver of college athletes will make the NFL. And then your whole life changes. You're not training for the thing that you were. You're not a part of the team. You don't have that structure. And it's just like, here, figure it out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then at the same time, they say, you know, you should have a backup plan. But if you want if you want to reach the highest levels of these particular sports, you almost have to think in terms of that this is it. Like, this is how I'm going to do it. Like, this is... You even get caught up in that, like, because why would I say something else? Because it just sounds like you're being pessimistic to your own dreams. So anybody asks you what you're doing, I'm going to the NFL. I'm going to the NBA. Because if that's not why you're doing it, uh, a college coach will tell you, well, this might not be what you want to do. You know, you can play up until maybe middle school, high school. But if you're not trying to play professionally, then it's, it, it, it might be a waste of time in college because there's so much that goes into it. And and so you have to buy into that mindset in a sense. Like, this is how, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Because that's, that's the way you can get through it. Because um, if you don't, you're kind of half-assing it? Essentially, that's what you, that's what it feels like. Because, um, it, 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 it it just speaks doubt if you don't believe it. Like if you're not totally convinced and then a lot of times you got to go at it, like totally convinced. And then sometimes people would say that that's a, that's um, a hindrance in the, in your thought process to not look outside of, you know, this one thought, but most of the coaches will tell you, like, no, nah, that's the thought process you need to have. Like, I'm going to make it hell or high water. That's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Because if not, then it's so easy to quit. Because it doesn't make sense outside of that. Think about it. Where else will you see two grown men take off, knock the hell out of each other? Over and over again. And, you know, you know go, go stand in a circle. And then line back up and do it again. Football outside of those lines is stupid. It makes no sense. There's no other thing. There's nothing else like it in the world that people go do. Because even in hockey, they try to avoid each other more. So in football, no. I sometimes think about that. If aliens came to Earth and just observed what we were doing, they would look at a football field and be like, why are they doing that? Why are they beating each other up? Yes, why, why, why are we subject ourselves to such violence? I think it's that and picking up dog poop. That would be the two things that they would be most confused about. <laughs> but that's a totally different territory. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's that. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the, the struggle of being an athlete. Um, because a lot of times you're not taught to be vulnerable. 
um, it goes against all the things that you should be doing as a as a human. You should be vulnerable at times. You should you should you know um, in football, I guess in athletics, you're you're taught to you know depend on the next person. There's some trust in there where you got to trust the guy next to you to do his job. And so you do your job and trust that he'll do his job and everything will work out. Um, so there's some life lessons in it, but at the same time, it's some things that are like totally, totally shunned upon in real life. Uh, it's like totally different, like running to each other and being vulnerable, like being vulnerable on the field is not, no, that's not, it's never cool. No, you're not just being out there, just giving yourself up. I can tell it's a topic near and dear to your heart, that transition from being an athlete to the rest of your life. What do you think is the most effective way to tell that story of the millions of athletes around the world who will end up in that position at some point? You know, there's only 1% of you make it. Even in that 1%, the average career is three years, three months. NBA, I mean, in the NFL. In the NBA, it's a little bit different. Chances are you'll get stuff five years, but yet still, how I, I typically tell them: by the time you're 25, you'll have to figure out what you do for the rest of your life. And so, if if you if you don't think about that now, and I know it's hard, and as an athlete, I, I can explain it. Like I, this is the best way I can explain it. I know it's hard. I know you probably a lot of you all won't do it but you all will remember this conversation. There needs to be a plan B. There needs to be something else that you are doing, something else that you're passionate about that you can make money doing. Because I have a trainer who will tell you, like, it's most of the time it's the guys that go to the NFL that end up, end up in the worst position than the guys who did. Because there's only a few of them that's going to make millions and millions of dollars. And then at the same time, what ends up happening is that you give millions and millions of dollars to people that's never had hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then with no guidance, you give them a million dollars and you tell them to go out into the world and figure it out with, with pretty much no, no real guidance. And at 22, you're stupid. I don't care what nobody say. 21, you're stupid. You, if, you, if you think, if you wait... Wait till you turn if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 23. 23. Okay, cool. Give it a couple of years. Like, if you think about yourself at 18, how, how much smarter are you? Do you feel like you now than you were when you were 18? A good amount. Okay, so multiply that times 100. From <laughs> once, you get, once you get past your 25th birthday, that's why insurance typically doesn't go down to after your 25th and then your mind isn't even fully developed to after your 25. And so it's that process. It's that thought that people uh, tend to forget. Like we're not in a position. A lot of athletes are not in a position to navigate the world that they're put in. We're ill-equipped for the most part because if you're really good, you've been pampered since you were in elementary school. Like, you know, you have, you, you typically, you know, went through school, not necessarily having the worst of times. 
Because even the kids in the high school will tell you, like, oh, athletes get treated differently. And that's true to an extent. Uh, not that everybody's giving grades away, but we are giving more leadway. We are giving more opportunities. Um, we have things like study hall that a lot of other students typically can't take advantage of. They bring us tutors and all this other stuff, but still. Uh, I think that's also one of the things that's terrible too, because if you played in a major D1 college, you're used to having all those things. You're used to having resources and all these other things. There are a lot of kids that don't have these things. So, um, what I would tell athletes is that you're not going to be treated any better for the next 10 years of your life than you were for those few years, you, the first 10 years that you went through high school and middle school as an athlete. Like there's, unless you go pro, this is the, probably the better times of your life. This is the one time in your life where everybody's working in your favor, trying to help you. Because once college is over, the world happens. There's nobody looking out for you. And most people will say that in college, nobody's really looking out for you. They say the NCAA exploits you, school exploits you, and, and on and on. And so it's just understand um, that you're in a situation where if you don't take advantage, somebody's going to take advantage of you. So a lot of what you're describing is the typical college experience, right? Which yours was far from it, right? Having right. Famar with you. Did having a kid and becoming a parent while doing all this and thinking about football and going through that side of it, how did that impact your, your forward view? Because I have to imagine that that made you more forward thinking to the rest of life. Yes. Um, education became more important for me. Because one of the things that also happened, I tore my ACL. And that was my first major injury. And that was my sophomore year. And so um, that scared the hell out of me. Because up until that point, I hadn't been injured to a point where I couldn't play. Um, and that made me focus more on education because it's like, Oh, this football thing's not promised. Because up until that point, I had believed that I was He-Man. I was, you know, a superhero. You were going to the NFL. Um, and then at that moment, I was like, oh, wait. This could, it could be over. That fast. I was just, I was good just a moment ago. Now I can't walk. <laughs> so that made school a lot more important. That made the NFL a lot less real for me. Um, and so along with that happening in me having my brother, yes, I had to get real forward thing. <laughs> um, because I, I even still like, okay, what, if I'm not playing football, what am I going to do when I leave Clemson to make money? Cause it's not just me. Like I got to take care of somebody. You got a living, breathing person depending on you. Yes. Right, and uh, that made me more responsible in the sense that I had to think. I had to do some forward thinking. I had to think about the things that I'm talking about now. Okay, well, what if I don't play in the NFL? Because, you know, yeah, I can figure it out, but if I got somebody with me, I need to figure it out before 
it's time to figure it out. And so um, that's what having a kid, you know, made me do far as forward thinking. I, I needed it. It wasn't. It was more of a, a action than a thought. Like I can't be just thinking about it now. I got to actually have some actions that I'm doing in order to get to this point. Because if not, then I'm I'm be such in such a bad place, and it's not going to be just me in a bad place. Last thing I got for you, Ray Ray. You clearly think about a lot of these things a lot, right? You're very cogent and well thought out about the psychological side of it. How much of your ma current maturity is the way you were built and how much of it is based off of the many experiences in your life? Um, okay. Um, speaking of, about what I was talking about earlier, adverse childhood experiences. I was uh, looking it up, thinking about one thing, abandonment. And my mom, when she used drugs, take time and go off in, you know, two or three days, she'll be gone. And um, I will have to take care of things and I'll be worried about where she was at and things like this. And, you know, so as a kid early on, as opposed to worrying about taking care of myself, I looked out. That was one of the things I looked outside of myself because I had to, and that was something that I wasn't necessarily supposed to be the case. I was supposed to be only worried about what I had going on because I was a kid. That's what kids are supposed to do. But because I was worried about what my mom was doing, I developed a, a I guess, a codependency thing or something where I'm 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 somewhat of an enabler where I, I, I look to help so much that I sometimes neglect myself. Oftentimes neglect myself. And um, I say all that to say that it's a bunch of things that we go through in life, even starting from when we were children, that we consider just who we are. And that's not necessarily who I was, it's who I became. Um, it was, it, it was something that was based on my situation that I ended up being the person that always looks outside of myself. And so even before Jeff told me, I had always been the person in my family to, to, you know, try to fix everybody else before I started with myself. And that wasn't necessarily the best way about going through things. And so, um, I guess to wrap it all up in the psychology of things um, and, and me thinking about it, it was, it was a, a combination of what I went through and what I was going through that gives me my current thought process. Like um, I'm constantly evolving as far as I'm thinking, as far as my thinking is concerned. And um, I, I like to think that it's one of the better qualities and traits that I have and that I'm currently trying to um, hone in on more. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your question. No. No, it, it does, and it's clear that you're looking to use this movie as a landing point for a lot of topics important to you, right? Childhood, adversity, and the transition from being an athlete to the rest of your life. Uh, you know, it, it, it's admirable to see you using your platform, right? You're a 
you're a Disney star now, and you're looking to build on that. So uh, for everyone at home, if you've already watched the movie or you are about to watch the movie, it's available on Disney Plus. And just based on what Ray Ray is saying, you know, those two hours, it's a little sliver, right, Ray Ray? I mean, there's so much more to you. There's so much more to to people who have shared experiences with you. I implore people to keep that bigger picture in mind. Yes, uh, that'd be a wonderful thing. Well, Ray Ray, thank you so much for hopping on. Appreciate your time. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you after seeing you portrayed on the big screen. Same here. I appreciate you having me. Ray Ray McElrath Bay. And if you haven't seen the movie yet, check it out. It's really good. I mean, just from a Disney storytelling perspective, it's very good. But now that you know a lot about Ray Ray's story, his son, what he's working on now, you'll love it even more. It's really admirable to see how he's using that platform of being portrayed on the Disney screen to do some good, right? To help disadvantaged children like he was. To help former athletes struggling with that transition from playing and training and working every day on that craft to then the rest of your life, right? He's trying to do some good. So it's really awesome to see what Ray Ray's doing and make sure you check out the movie Safety, which is available on Disney+. Plus. So that was the first Mental Game episode of 2021. I wish you, your family, all your loved ones a healthy and a happy new year. Got a really exciting docket of guests coming for the rest of the month, so make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever the heck you listen to these things. In the meantime, have a nice rest of your week. I'm Sam Brief, right here in Chicago. I'll talk to you next time. Adios. Adios.